Let us turn in our hymn books to hymn number 162. It will be on the screen behind us. Uh, Hymn number 162, Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son. Endless is the victory thou or death hast won. We'll stand and sing this hymn together to God's praise. Hymn number 162, Thine be the glory. ask God's blessing on us as we meet together around his word. Let us pray. O Lord, we give thee thanks for thy precious word and for the truth of thy word that never fails. And we pray, Lord, that as we come tonight to worship thee and to meditate on thy word and to sing thy praise, that thou wouldst mix thy word with faith in our hearts and that we will be found among those who walk in this world as those who are pilgrims and strangers, who look for that city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. 
We remember our pastor tonight. We pray thy blessing upon him. We also pray for those who are sick and suffering. We pray, Lord, for thy blessing to be with them. We remember our sister Serene. We pray for Ron. We pray, Lord, for thy blessing to be with Anna. We remember Isabel and Ted. We pray for Duncan and Joan. We pray thy blessing upon them. We pray, Lord, that thou wouldst be with those who are going through times of trial. We pray that thou wouldst strengthen them and be with them. And Lord, we remember our sister Dorothy. We pray for thy blessing upon her. We pray that thou wouldst comfort her in the loss of Reverend Bodner. We pray for thy special blessing to be with her and the family at this time. And Lord, help us to appreciate that thou art the God that doest all things well that nothing is outside of thy purposes, that thou art the same yesterday, today, and forever, the God that does not change. We pray, Lord, for thy blessing to be upon us. As we worship thee, we pray that thou wouldst uh, be with us and be one of our number. And we remember our brother Jonathan tonight in Port Hope, and we pray thy blessing upon him. We also pray for our brother Daniel up in Barry. We pray that thou wouldst bless him as he ministers thy word. And we pray for thy special blessing to be with thy cause throughout this land. We pray that thou wouldst raise up others who would faithfully preach thy word and who would be unashamed of thee in this day in which we live. We pray, Lord, now that as we sing thy praise, may we do so from the heart and that thou wouldst accept of us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us now turn to hymn number 390, hymn number 390. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. We'll stand and sing this hymn together to God's praise, hymn number 390. Jesus paid it all.
Please be seated. We welcome you to our service this evening, and we pray for the Lord's blessing upon us as we meet together around his word. We also welcome those who are viewing on our webcast, and we pray for the Lord's blessing to be with you wherever you are. Services next Lord's Day, Lord willing, will be at 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. with a time of prayer at 10 to 6. We also have the Bible classes that start at 9.50, and we pray for the Lord's blessing to be with each one of those ministries. On Wednesday evening, there'll be the time of prayer at 7.30, and we pray for the Lord to be with us. We also want to remember the work in Port Hope as they'll be having their 30th anniversary services at the end of October. And on the Saturday evening, there will be a dinner. Um, Further arrangements will be announced concerning that. We want to remember our sister Dorothy Bodner in the passing of John and pray for um, God's comfort to be with her at this time. And we also want to remember those who are sick and suffering. We pray the Lord's hand of healing and blessing upon them. Let us now turn to hymn number 334. Hymn number 334. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean. Hymn number 334. We'll stand and sing this hymn together to God's praise.
Let us now turn in God's word to the book of Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, and we'll begin reading at verse 18 in the chapter. Galatians 2 verse 18. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. With our Bibles open, let us ask for God's blessing on us. Lord, we pray that thou wouldst write thy word upon our hearts and help us to be found among those who live by faith and who understand something of the wonder of thy love to us. We pray that thou wouldst free us from our own righteousness and help us afresh to stand in the righteousness of Christ Jesus, our Lord. We pray this in our Savior's precious name. Amen. This evening we're going to look at this portion of God's word, and especially with respect to verse 20, where the apostle says there, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now in this portion of Galatians 2, there's a record of what Paul said to Peter when he confronted him for his compromise and error on the issue of a sinner's justification. Peter was filled with fear because of Judaizers that were in the Christian church at that time, and Peter had withdrawn himself from the fellowship of the Gentile converts in the church at Antioch. The Judaizers had promoted this false theory that the Gentile converts had to embrace the Jewish ceremonial law in order to be accepted by God. And if they would not submit to that system, then they should be cut off from fellowship, meaning that no Jew should enter into communion with the Gentile converts. And thus, under intimidation by these Judaizers, Peter withdrew from all the Gentile converts, but in doing so, he placed a question mark over the truth of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, without the works of the law. So consequently, the Apostle Paul rebuked Peter and set him straight, and these things are recorded for us in Galatians chapter 2. Now in part of what Paul said to Peter, Paul appealed to his own experience of what the gospel had done in his life, as seen in the 20th verse where he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, 
yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In saying, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, this expresses the same truth as presented in verse 19, where he says, For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. The truth is that through Christ's perfect obedience to the law, Paul had been justified and was thereby delivered from all the demands of having to keep the law with all its perfection and all its demands. And thus, he was dead to the law with regard to being justified or with regard to the requirements of justification. The law had no claims over him. But at the exact same time, through Christ's work for him, he was enabled to live unto God and for the glory of God. Because in verse 19, he says, For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. In other words, he wasn't to keep the law in order to be perfect with God. Christ had done that for him. Paul means this when he says that I might live unto God. That when a man knows that the law's just demands over him have all been satisfied, and he's been set free to live unto God and for God, then that is a change in the attitude of our lives. And Paul's teaching is that through the knowledge of him being justified by faith, without the works of the law, and having this assurance of peace with God, that he had become, that because of he was justified, he was enabled by God's grace to live unto God and for God. And the knowledge of who Christ is and what Christ had done for him and what the believer has in Christ forms the basis on which our Christian lives can be lived each day. You see, Paul is actually teaching here in reference to being alive unto God, that while he was dead to the law with regards to its demands for justification, yet at the same time he was possessed of a true desire to obey God's law with regard to his daily Christian life. When he speaks of living unto God, Paul is essentially referring to sanctification, a life of obedience, a life of holiness. And thus here again we show that justification and sanctification are inseparable. Justification is the basis for sanctification in our lives. When we know that the law's legal demands against us have been satisfied because of what Christ has done for us, then out of love for Jesus and what he has done, we desire to obey him, to do his will, and walk according to his law. There's a passage in Romans chapter 9, sorry, Romans chapter 6, verse 9, where the apostle there is teaching us the exact same thing. In Romans 6 and verse 9, he tells us, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. 
Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. See, verses 9 and 10, where it says, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him, they speak there of Christ's perfect work for us, and that he has done all that the law demands. And then the following verses result in what we are to do in our lives. We're not to yield ourselves as members of instruments unto unrighteousness and to be sinning in our lives, but we're to yield ourselves unto God, and we're to live unto God, and we're to live a life of holiness. You see, our freedom in Christ Jesus gives us the blessing and the ability to yield ourselves to God, to do his will. And thus, in Galatians 2.20, Paul's focus is on living the Christian life here in this world. He says, The light, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That phrase, the life which I now live in the flesh, Paul is talking about his earthly life here below. The life that he lived each day as he got up in the morning and he went about his different activities. He was mindful of what Christ had done for him, that the Lord had saved him and delivered him. And the word flesh here has various meanings in, the, in Scripture, but here it's really just referring to Paul's daily life here in this world. There's another reference to this, um, the, word, the use of the word um, flesh in Hebrews 5, 7, speaking of our Lord. And in Hebrews 5, 7, um, we can read from verse 5, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. You see, that is, uh, in reference to our Lord Jesus, referring to the days of his flesh, is the reference to his life here in the world. So Paul, in our passage here in Galatians 2.20, is speaking of his physical life, his earthly sojourn as a child of God, and the life that he lives unto God as one who's dead to the law through Jesus Christ and yet loves to keep God's law as a rule of life. So the justified man or woman is to live each day unto God. From the time they're brought into this new standing of acceptance with God through Christ, they're called to live unto God. And in this 20th verse, Paul speaks in a way that is um, described here about how a believer is to live each day during the course of their life that they are 
going through this world. So there's three aspects of living unto God that we want to look at. First of all, the miracle of living unto God. In the opening words of the text, Paul uh, presents the truth that through Christ's satisfaction of the law, Paul was dead to the law's demands for obedience. But at the same time, he was alive unto God. So he says there, because he says, I am crucified with Christ. He says that while he had been crucified with Christ, who is his representative at Calvary, yet he was alive. Nevertheless, I live. And there comes some particular words which underline this miracle of living unto God. And he says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Specifically the words, Christ liveth in me. That's the miracle. The miracle that's true of every child of God. Every person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, Christ lives in them. Now, Paul's writing about this is not just here in Galatians. In 2 Corinthians 13 and verse number 5, he tells us the same thing. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. You see, Jesus Christ is in his people. Also over to Colossians 1.27. Colossians 1.27, and here the apostle is saying, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And remember, the mystery is a revealed mystery. It's not something mysterious and unknown. This is revealed truth that the Gentiles would be fellow believers with the people of God who were Jewish and without having to become a Jew. This mystery among the Gentiles, and what does he say? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then over to Ephesians 3, verse 17. And in Ephesians three seventeen, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. But specifically, the words in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. See, this permeates Paul's writings that Christ is in his people, dwelling in them, in them. And this reference in our text is clear 
And it has this personal element to it because the apostle says, Christ, but Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. So it's personal. And frequently we read of this truth with respect to believers' experience. They're in Christ. They're found in him, not having their own righteousness. But here is the miracle of living unto God. Christ is in each of his people, and they are in him, and thereby they are enabled to live unto God each day of their daily lives. But first of all, we have to consider what is the foundation of this miracle. This miracle of Christ living in his people rests on a foundation. And the foundation for this is based on the legal merit of Christ's work for them. So understand clearly, to have Christ come into a sinner's heart and to live there, as all these scriptures show us, this is a spiritual experience that results in a moral change within that person. But the teaching of scripture is that God never performs this moral change in any sinner unless there is some legal basis for doing it. And that's always the order. The legal basis of the moral example. So the legal or judicial basis must be laid before the Lord will ever enter any man or woman's heart and perform this moral and spiritual change that they need. Divine justice must be satisfied before grace can enter the soul of a sinner. All the legal demands of the law have to be met before Christ will enter a sinner's soul to live there. In that passage that we were looking at in 2 Corinthians 5.17... 2 Corinthians 5.17, it tells us, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Here is the moral and spiritual change, or the miracle that takes place. And especially the words, all things become new. The reference is, to the entire moral and spiritual change wrought in the heart by the miracle of Christ dwelling in them. But in verse 18, it says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. But especially the words where it says, All things are of God. You see, the miracle of grace in the soul is in view here. It's God who's reconciled to himself by Jesus Christ. Here it is. The miracle of grace in the heart rests upon the finished and perfect work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. You see, if you go down to 2 Corinthians 5.21, the apostle there tells us the reason Because he says, for he hath made him to be sin for us. He's talking about Christ Jesus, who is spotless, who's holy. 
who's perfect. And yet he's been made sin for us. God viewed him as a condemned sinner. And he knew no sin. He did no sin. He's perfect. And yet God viewed Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross as one who was condemned and sinful. See, that 2 Corinthians 5.21 is one of the greatest verses that talks about vicarious atonement. Here is Christ Jesus who vicariously took upon himself. He took our sin. He became sin for us. And the result is that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, that we would be reckoned by God to be perfectly righteous. You see, the clear teaching is that Christ's work for us as our sin bearer and our substitute is the basis of his work in us, his work of grace in us. Now consider the fact of this miracle where Paul says in Galatians 2.20, Christ liveth in me. He states the fact of this miracle of Christ living in his people because it is a reality that by his spirit Christ lives in his people. Christ the God-man, we know, has ascended up to heaven to represent his people there. But what did he say? It's better for you that I go away. Because if I go away, I will send my spirit. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of his people. In Romans 8 and verse number 9, which we were reading this morning, the apostle there says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Notice that the indwelling of the Spirit is the proof of being a child of God. And the proof that you belong to the family of God and the proof that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And look at the interchange between Christ and the Spirit. You see in verse 9, ye are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. There is God the Father. And if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, there is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. You see, what we have here is a picture of the economy of redemption. That term, the economy of redemption, is talking about the fact that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are always working together. And they're working together in perfect harmony to ensure that the people of God and the purposes of God are being met. And this, ver- this idea here, the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ, is in every believer. 
that what's being taught here is that Christ lives in his people by his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ lives in the hearts of God's children. Also over in 1 John, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. You see, this is God's Holy Spirit living and abiding in our hearts by faith. What a marvelous reality that God and Christ dwell in the hearts of the people of God by his Spirit. Now this miracle is because the Holy Spirit, being a divine person, possesses omnipresence. So that Christ can dwell in all of his people's hearts simultaneously. In other words, it doesn't matter where you are in the world... And all the people of God throughout the whole world are able to enjoy the presence of the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God by the Holy Spirit being in their heart because he has the power of omnipresence. If we turn over to Acts 9.31, there's an account there where it says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. So here's the churches, Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and they were all being edified, and they were all being fed at the exact same time. And all the churches throughout the whole world today, with believers throughout the whole world, here we are in Toronto, and yet there's people throughout Canada, and the United States, and Europe, and Asia, and Russia and China and all around the whole world, and they're all being fed simultaneously by the Holy Spirit in their hearts. That um, consolation, that phrase, the consolation or the comfort of the Holy Ghost is the um, same term that's used in John chapter 14, where in in John 14 and verse number 16, Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. That's another of the same kind. In other words, the Holy Spirit has all the characteristics of deity. He is one, the third person of the Holy Trinity, and he has all the exact same characteristics. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. And he's talking there about God's Holy Spirit, who is being sent by Jesus Christ, dwelling in the hearts of his people as the paraclete, the one who comes alongside 
in our time of need. The one who is right beside us in our time of need. And there is this clear thought that it's Christ himself living in his people by his spirit. Now, secondly, there is the means of living unto God. So the apostle says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. The original text shows that the Son of God was the object of Paul's faith. Faith always has an object. Thus it may be read, I live by faith in the Son of God. Thus the means of living unto God is our faith in Christ Jesus. You see, faith is shown here to be an instrument. The literal wording is in faith or by faith I live. And the language is indicative of faith being the instrument. And thus, it is the essence of true faith. Faith is the vehicle by which a sinner savingly rests wholeheartedly on the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's the channel or the conduit by which the believer receives from Christ the graces and benefits of all the Savior's finished work. Now, in Hebrews 11, that great chapter of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, we notice that it's through faith, by faith, by faith. So through faith, we understand the world's reframed by the word of God. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. And every one of the examples in Hebrew 11 that give the picture of the lives of God's saints in the Old Testament and all the record that we have up there, it was always by faith or through faith that they accomplished this. You see, God gives to us the gift of faith. Faith is this divine gift. It's not something that we conjure up within ourselves. And we know that from um, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. See, faith is this supernatural quality that is a gift from God himself, this miraculous gift of enabling a sinner who's dead in trespasses and sins, who has no interest in the things of God, to believe the revelation of God and to trust in Christ Jesus and then to live their lives each day unto God. So that leads us that the Christian faith is lived not by our own strength and our own abilities. No, it's lived by faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's words here give us the secret of living unto God or living the Christian life, and it's by faith in Christ. Now, many 
believers have this um, twisted idea that they're going to obey a certain number of principles or they're going to obey a certain number of rules and they're going to kind of follow that and that's going to be their, their model for their life. Now, it's true that there are biblical principles that are to be obeyed by the believer and that we're to live each day with that desire after holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. But if we go to Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 and verses 1 and 2, the apostle there in writing to the Hebrews says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, which he's just listed in Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, the principle here is that each day we are to be living our lives, as the apostle says, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. So that when we have faith in God, who is and God's given us this gift, we enter into the Christian life by faith in Christ, and then we live the Christian life by faith in Christ each day. And it's by faith looking unto Jesus. So each believer draws from Christ what he needs to sustain and strengthen them in order to live each day unto God. You see, faith is the means by which the believer draws from Christ the blessings and the benefits that Christ has secured for his people by his work on their behalf. Christ is the mediator who died to procure for his people all the covenant promises and all the covenant blessings. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, He says, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You see, this is telling us that Christ is the head from whom all the blessings of his people flow, all the nourishment that we need, all that God has given to his people flows to us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we're given grace to live our Christian lives by faith in Jesus Christ, seeking and obtaining from him each day the blessings that he gives to us And how do we do that? Through the reading of his word, through prayer, and through the participation in the New Testament sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's the means. And then finally, let's look at the motivation. So the motivation for living unto God. 
The apostle says, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, it's obvious that Paul's closing words here talk about the motivation that he felt within himself with regard to living each day to God. In other words, he's saying that he could not do anything else in light of all that Christ had done for him. You see, it's this truth of Christ's love for us as individuals, as his people, that is the motivation for us to live unto God. You see, Christ's love is personal. Christ isn't just the savior of all men. He didn't come into the world just to save sinners by some number, you know, just, just he came into the world to save sinners. No, no, he came to save individuals. He came to save us personally. You see, the question is, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? You have to know it personally. It has to affect you as an individual. If you don't know what Paul's saying, that he loved me, You have to be able to say that. Like, I have to be able to say in God's truth, he loved me. What an amazing thing that is. That Jesus, when he's dying on Calvary's cross, was doing it for me. And he was there dying in my place and suffering what I would have endured. But he did it because he loved me. And he gave himself for me. You see, this is personal. And can you say with the apostle, he loved me and he gave himself for me? You see, Christ knew Paul and he knew everything about him. He knew all his sin, he knew all his blasphemy, he knew all his hatred, he knew all about that, and yet he loved him. And he knows us. He knows my heart. And he knows what's in my heart. And he knows what's in your heart. And yet he says here, he loved me. You see, it's personal. Can you say that he loved me? And that's the motivation. You see, he was impelled to live unto God because of what Christ loved that Christ had loved Paul, so it motivated him. But Christ's love is persuasive. It says that he not only loved me, he gave himself for me. He gave himself. What did he give? You see, he gave his life. He gave his life. He gave everything. He gave everything. For the Apostle Paul. And he gave everything. He gave up his life. He gave everything for you. You see, this should persuade us to live unto God. He became in our stead. He was sacrificed in our place. He died in our place. He suffered And all that was brought upon him because of our sin. 
And this motivated Paul to live daily with Christ's love and Christ's death in view, so that every day he had this in view, what Christ had done. You see, if we want to be motivated to live unto God each day, think about what Christ has done for us, that he loved me and he gave himself for me. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. You see, it compels us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now that way of thinking is opposite, the exact opposite of what the world will tell you. They're going to tell you all about, look after yourself. Live to yourself. Do everything for yourself. Make sure that all the water comes to your mill. But what does it say here? That henceforth should not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And then his love is perpetual. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, that beautiful verse Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You see, Christ's love for his people never ends. It's eternal. And it's something that even though we fail... And we're not perfect by any means, yet Christ is perfect. And he's died in our place. And God views us as if we are holy because we are in him. And he promises here never, ever to leave us nor forsake us. What a promise this is. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let us pray. Lord, we thank thee for thy precious word. And we pray that each one of us gathered in tonight might know something of the love of Christ for us and that we would, by thy grace, be enabled to say that he loved me and gave himself for me. We pray, Lord, for thy blessing upon those who are outside of Christ, those who are strangers to grace and to God, that thou wouldst draw them savingly to thyself, that wouldst work in their hearts, and save them by thy grace and by thy power. We pray, Lord, that we would each day be living our lives with that singleness of eye to thy glory. We pray this in our Savior's precious name. Amen. For our closing hymn this evening, we're going to sing hymn number 517. Hymn number 517. Teach me thy way, O Lord, teach me thy way.
Let's stand and sing this hymn together to God's praise. Receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and evermore. Amen.